Hey guys, John Paulamy here, Actionable Intelligence. Today is Sunday, December 6th, 2020, and this is the weekly market update. Okay, the disclaimer, of course, uh, in these times we need to have a disclaimer. Content in this video is for informational and entertainment purposes only. Should not construe any such information or other material as legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. So uh, nothing in the video constitute professional and or financial advice, nor does any information on the video constitute a comprehensive or complete statement of the matters discussed. It's your money, so it's your responsibility. So this week, uh, well, first I wanted to have this shout out for the channel and AIA. Uh, this was on Twitter. Uh, this is from a subscriber of mine, but also somebody that watches the channel goes by the moniker Aloysius Snuffleupagus Baggy Pachyderm LLC. Anyways, it's talking uh, at John Paulamy is a must follow for his weekly update. I'd listen to him reading bedtime stories. Talk what you want about his picks. He's talking about the picks in the newsletter. I keep a watch list of his picks because I'm a subscriber and the whole thing effing gap this week. He put out AR, that's Antero Resources for free when it was $3. So basically, appreciate that. Uh, any subscriber that uh, tells me we're doing a good job. We've had constant ongoing subscriptions, but we've had, you know, a lot of people that don't renew their subscriptions. And that's for a reason. Um, for the last year or so, year and a half, the portfolios really struggled. Why? Well, value uh, was out of favor. Uh, things that were in favor were not things that I would buy. Uh, I'm a long-term contrarian investor slash speculator. Now, many of the picks in the newsletter are speculations. There's a difference between investing and speculating. But in fact, uh, you know, our thesis as we've laid out here in general on the channel is that um, we've had a, we're at the cusp of a long-term, probably five to 10 year resource bull market um, under investment in commodities is going to lead to a uh, sustained and long-term uptrend in many resource prices that should drag a lot of the resource stocks along with them. Many of these companies have been down, you know, 80, 90%, and they basically were given up for dead. And so I believe we're seeing a shift back towards resources because of the underinvestment and added on the fuel of central bank largesse where trillions and trillions of currency units are being printed out of thin air. So you guys know the story, but uh, anyways, yeah, I would say it just didn't gap up this week. I mean, the portfolio has basically been trending upwards. It's been beating the S and P since last quarter. Q3 was a beat and we're beating the S and P this quarter by, I think I looked at the data uh, the portfolio as a whole is beating the S&P by three times. I think the S&P this quarter is up 8% roughly, and uh, the portfolio is up about 22 or 23%, so just in this quarter. So look, the portfolio stocks are going to be very volatile just by their nature. Many of the type of stocks that I'm uh, speculating in, uh, you know, they can go up or down 50%. Uh, positive or negative in the space of six months. 
based on no news, just based on a f liquidity. These are a lot of times smaller companies um, that don't, they have to have some news flow. But when we get into a trend on some of these things, like the uranium stocks, I believe like all the uranium stocks in the portfolio are now positive. One of them is up over 100%, not just in the three months, but since we've held it. So that's pretty good. We've got, you know, I've got a royalty company and then it's up over 300%. And we've had some dogs. We've had some companies go to zero. So that's what you're going to get in, in the portfolio. How do we control that? How do we control the overall returns and get a positive return? By position sizing. I'll take an initial position, okay, uh, initial tranche in a company that I think has potential. It's not my full allocation. I just take a taste of it and then I watch it. And as the business turns around, if it turns like I think and it actually starts showing an uptrend in the stock, then I'll take additional tranches as I feel. Uh, and sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. But these are longer term plays. These aren't something that are going to play out in a week or two. I got lucky on last month's pick. It's already up 50%. It's a play on the country of Georgia. Um, but, you know, the thing was bombed out. I, I love... I love country picks. I love it when a country is like gets bombarded with bad news and the stock market in that country, country drops by 50 or 80%, like happened in Greece or Cyprus. And people just assume the country and all of its people and all the assets in the country are just going to dry up and blow away. Well, that never happens. Eventually, you know, time heals all wounds. So, you know, COVID has provided a lot of opportunity for those type of situations. Um, that's one of the functions of the CAPE ratio that I like. I like to use that, but these are long-term things and that's why people don't like them. People want, you know, that dopamine hit. They want something to happen right now. I mean, people get mad if they have to sit in the Chick-fil-A drive through line for five minutes, uh, trying to get somebody to say, you know, have a three to five year or 10 year time frame is just not gonna happen. But for life-changing wealth, that's what's required. So I appreciate the shout out, um, plug in the newsletter a little bit. Look, I don't, this is one of the things that I probably shouldn't do. I shouldn't be telling you the kind of great returns we're getting right now because that sets the wrong expectation. It's very volatile. A lot of the stocks are volatile. Uh, for a while, they weren't going up, they were going down. So, and we're going to get into this week in the uh, weekly video to talk about why investors are terrible and fail at their goal of increasing their wealth. And I was that person. So, you know, one thing I want to stress is most of the things I'm doing in the newsletter are speculations. There are some investments in there. I've got a infrastructure play, renewable energy play. That's a long-term investment. I'll probably hold it forever. It's just keeps compounding capital and kicking out cash flow. So, so far, so good. There's things like that. If I buy them at the right time when they're cheap, then, you know, what's my effective dividend yield on something I bought, you know, that was 50% lower and keeps increasing its dividend and it currently kicking out about a 5% dividend yield to current shareholders. It's probably double digits for me. So, you know, that's the same thing that you look at like Warren Buffett when he bought Coca-Cola for Berkshire Hathaway many, many years ago. Uh, when it was very cheap, what's his effective dividend yield per year? 40, 50%? He's not going to sell that stock. Even if it's overvalued because the cash flows, you, you know, that's one of the secrets to success in investing is what you pay for the investment. That's where the money's made. But anyways, I just wanted to touch on that because uh, things are going pretty good. And right now things are breaking out all over. Uh, we're seeing a lot of the resource stocks 
turn upwards or 50 200 day moving averages the 50 days crossing the 200 days um, do i think things are overbought yes have oil and some of these other things moved too far too fast yes but uh i think that um you know i'm not i'm not know if i'm ready to say the bottom's in but uh, I'm, i've been allocating more money to these areas and uh, longer term if you have a long-term perspective a lot of these stocks are pretty cheap for where i think they're going Okay, let's get into the into the stuff here. John's reality check. Like I said, we're not going to talk too much about different things this week, but we'll focus on on this uh, study that I found, which I thought was intriguing. It's just great. Um, individual investors as a group. Now, this is as a group. This isn't directed at any one of you people out there. Uh, there's a certain amount of people that don't understand that when I'm talking to the group, it doesn't mean I'm picking on you individually. So I just wanted to clarify that because some people don't get it. But individual investors as a group have no idea what they are doing. Fidelity Investments conducted a study on their Magellan Fund from 1977 to 1990 uh, during Peter Lynch's tenure. If you don't know who Peter Lynch is, he's probably one of the most successful mutual fund managers of all time. He ran the Fidelity Magellan Fund for these 77 to 90. He wrote the book, One Up on Wall Street. Um, he's an icon uh, in the, you know, investing uh, industry, money management industry. Now, he had the benefit of being in a time when the markets were going up, but suffice to say, that's not, you know, that's neither here nor there. Uh, his average annual return during this period was 29%. So that means all the ups and downs averaged out each year, um, the average return was 29% a year. Now, here is what is interesting. What Fidelity Investments found in their study was shocking. The average investor in the fund actually lost money. So think about this. If you had to put your money in in 1977 and not touched it, through all the ups and downs, you would have averaged a 29% return in the fund. But guess what? The average investor in the fund lost money. Do you want to know why? Because I'm going to get into that in another slide, but I'll just give you the punchline right here. Because most of the people that bought into the fund, you know, they would get like money magazine, it would rank the funds, right? So they would buy at the top. They would buy the year that the stock that the fund was up, you know, 30 or 40%. And then the following year, the fund was down and then they would sell. They, they chase performance, cannot do that. I'll get into some of the reasons why people fail. But that's why if you were asking the question, you know, how can this guy be returning 29% a year in the fund and these people, the average person is losing money? That's why. They'll look at the start of the year. This is before internet trading, guys. So you'd have Money Magazine or Fortune that come out with the rankings, Lipper rankings, of mutual fund performance. They do big cover story, Peter Lynch, the king of mutual funds or whatever, you know, and all this money would flow in after the guy had a good year. It's performance chasing. This is what pension funds do. This is why most people don't make money. This is why Warren Buffett's a billionaire and the average person is a schlub when it comes to investing. So here's why right here. Individuals make decisions every day with their emotions assisting their judgment. Now, we've talked about this before. You cannot do this and be successful. It is part of who we are as human beings. That's exactly right. This is some of the bias that you have to fight against. Unfortunately, making emotional decisions can be a detriment in the investing world. Well, can be, it is a detriment. 
So why do investors fail? Well, performance chasing, we just talked about that. That happens nowadays and it's even worse now because you have 24 hour news, you have social media, Twitter, Facebook, everything else. So anybody that's doing, you know, Dave Portnoy type situation, this guy gets elevated on YouTube or Twitter and everybody's listening to what this guy says and they're following it or, or, or whatever. And uh, that's what people do. You know, they want to quit their quick buck. They're quick bucking it. They don't understand because they don't have a, 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 a well, I'll get into uh, how to get around this stuff, but that's what they do. They chase performance. So you're bu always buying at the top if you're doing that. They have a casino investing mentality, like investing is supposed to be fun. No, investing is not fun. It's not like, you know, model trains or playing tennis or going hiking in the woods that you get for enjoyment. It's work. And if you work hard at it and you're good at it, you get paid. If you don't put any time, it's like any job or anything else that you would get paid for. If you're crappy at it and you don't put any time into it and you do it half, half stepping, then you're not going to get paid. Just like if you're at your job and you weren't doing your job, you'd get fired. Well, you, and you wouldn't be getting paid anymore. It's the same thing. It's not like going to Las Vegas and blowing five grand over the weekend. That's not what it is. The Me Too Lemming Investment Strategy. So, of course, most people don't know what they're doing. So what happens is, is you get a job at a company and they have automatic enrollment in a 401k plan. And so unless you opt out, so this money is going into typically what it goes into, like if you're in fidelity, you're going to retire in 30 years, they have a 30 year balanced portfolio, right? So it's supposedly balanced for people that are going to retire in 30 years. So your money just goes into that and you're thinking to yourself, you start talking to your coworkers, the other person that doesn't know what they're doing either, you know, or your uh, ex-brother-in-law at Thanksgiving, you know, hey, what do you do with your... 401k money. You know, you're talking to people that don't know anything and have not demonstrated that they have been successful investors. That's why I talk about going and finding the most successful investors and emulating what they do. Learn their secrets. Learn what they do. They're not secret. They publish it. They have, they're very vain and they're egoists. They publish books, papers, investment papers, annual reports, Go on videos. I mean, I, I've named the names before. Howard Marks, Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger, Stan Druckenmiller. goes on and on and on and on. These people are all billionaires. What is the common theme? Okay. Take the time to learn that. Don't go ask Sally the admin what she's doing. She doesn't know anything. I mean, she might be a great, nice person, but that's what happens. It's the me too. I mean, you know, or, you know, your ex-brother-in-law at the, uh, you know, family or doofus, I shouldn't say X, the doofus brother-in-law who's talking about how much money he made in, you know, the latest IPO, and then that gets your juices flowing. You know, don't do that. News-based influence. So people with the 24-hour news cycle and with the ubiquitousness and availability of Twitter and all these other social media avenues, people get influenced and then, you know, you can trade right from your phone. So, well, they said that, you know, I was watching this video on the way to work on the bus and, you know, this guy on CNBC said, C said the Fed's going to raise interest rates. And I heard that when the Fed raises rates, stocks go down. So they go and sell all their stocks. I mean, this is the kind of, this is an example. Or I heard somebody say that the earnings for XYZ company might be, you know, down 5% from the uh, analyst estimates. So the stock's going to drop. So I'm going to sell. I mean, 
that doesn't work. And then you're trading in and out, you're racking up commissions, you're in and out, in and out. It's not how successful investors do things. And then you have like fear and greed investing, right? So fear of missing out. We have this huge rally going on now. It's way overvalued. It's moved way too far. But people, you know, with the, like I said, inexperienced people, I've seen this now. I've been around long enough where I've been through several market cycles. And I've seen people get sucked into the same type of situation. I've seen all these Robin Hooders getting sucked into what I saw in 1998, 99, 2000 at the tech bubble. 2008, the housing bubble. You remember housing prices could never go down. They never went down in the history of the United States. Why would they go down now? You, you saw what happened. Look, guys, nothing goes straight up. These are common sense things, but the emotions take over. The greed takes over. The fear of missing out takes over. You know, your doofus brother-in-law, half in the bag at the Christmas party, family Christmas party, bragging about how much money he's making, and your wife's going, well, how come we only, we only have 11% return in our funds? And, you know, Roy, the doofus, was, was bragging he was up 150% in, in whatever, in Amazon or what, whatever he's doing. Don't fall into that. That's what happens, though. You know, the odds are against you already. You know, uh, I remember one of the top money managers, I can't remember which one it was. It may have been Ray Dalio or somebody. But anyways, he said, it, or maybe it was Paul Tudor Jones. I can't remember. One of them said, listen, if you think that you're just going to come home after working 40 or 50 or 60 hours at your job, do all your chores, play with your kids, get some downtime for yourself, and then devote, you know, an hour on a Sunday afternoon to reading, you know, Forbes magazine, then coming up with a coherent investment strategy that's going to beat me, you're deluding yourself. And that's exactly right. These people all day think about what they're doing, okay? They have access to hundreds of analysts, people with PhDs, supercomputers. This is what they do all day professionally as a job. So you're not going to get an edge on them by buying Amazon. They, all the information is priced into most of these stocks. You have to seek out areas where there's an information deficit or in areas of the market that these people can't play in so that you can get an edge or an advantage, okay? So just to illustrate, a 25-year study done by Longboard Asset Management, which looked at 3,000 stocks, basically the Russell 3000, from 1983 to 2007, showed that the odds are against you for randomly picking winning stocks. I mean, if you just randomly pick things, and that's what most people are doing when they're just buying things, okay? Because it's going up or whatever. The study showed that 18.5%, these are talking about the stocks, random stocks, lost 18.5% of the stocks, lost at least 75% of their value. 39% of the stocks lost money during the period. 64% of the stocks underperformed the Russell 3000. This is in that period of um, 1983 to 2007, which is basically 24 years. Only 25% of the stocks were responsible for all the market's gains. So it's your job for the limited time that you do have to seek out those type of stocks. And so that's why we talk about 100 to 1 in the stock market. Chris Mayer's book about 100 baggers. What are the commonalities? It's pattern recognition. What are some of the commonalities? It's the same thing like playing poker, okay? Certain hands should be played a certain way based on the probabilities of playing them tens of thousands of times of what the outcomes are going to be. It's the same thing. 
okay? You got to buy stocks, invest in companies that have a moat, that have a product, that have good management that can be trusted. That's one way. Another way is buying cyclical industries at the bottom of their cycle that are getting ready to enter an up cycle. That's more difficult, but can be very profitable. These are some of the things that Thomas Phelps talked about in his book, 100 to 1 in the Stock Market. This is some of the things you can read about. You have to understand where you're at in the cycle of the market, okay? And then you have to buy things and hold them and let them, let, let the, you know, you have to recognize you're buying pieces of business. Like we talked about last week, in order to create wealth, you have to be an equity holder. So when you're buying a stock, if you're thinking about just flipping it, like you're playing around flipping baseball cards or something like that, then you're just gambling. But if you're analyzing the business and buying a business at a good value that has prospects of growing over time, then it can compound your wealth. Most people cannot and will not do this. That's why they're unsuccessful. And that used to be me a long time ago. You know, I think it, it's either you're born with these things or somebody sits it down and pounds it into your head. But the average person, you have to go through a process and learn these things, become wise. The problem is, is you eat up so much time that you could be compounding wealth. That's the whole point I'm trying to make here, guys. I would have liked to learn what I know now. I'd like to start over with zero and have all the knowledge I have when I was 18. Believe me, I'd be on TV every day. I'd be a multi-billionaire. But it's not like that, right? So take the wisdom, I'm telling you. Get control of your emotions. Learn, success leaves clues, okay? Your future is who you hang around with, okay? Educate yourself, read. So what can you do to improve your odds? If we're talking about the average person, average investor doesn't know what they're doing, what can we do to improve our odds to make ourselves better? First of all, you gotta have a personalized investment plan. It, doesn't, it can be 40 pages, it can be one page, but write it down. What are you trying to accomplish? What's your risk profile? Do some self-introspection. Write this down, okay? I don't like risk. If that's you, write that down. If I'm capable of taking more risk. I'm trying to retire by the time I'm 40. I'm trying to have a comfortable you know, lifestyle. I'm trying to get well, some wealth for my kids. I want financial freedom. Whatever it is, write it down. Write about risk, okay? Write about things, you know, I don't like real estate. That's me personally. I don't, I don't like investing. It's too much work. I don't like it. I like equities. Investing in businesses. Here's something that's very important. I keep emphasizing this, and I guarantee you that 95% of you guys are not doing this. Educate yourself. How do you do that? You must read. Charlie Munger said this, and I agree with him. I've never met anybody that knows what they're talking about or successful or is intelligent that doesn't read a lot and doesn't think about what they read. If you're sitting around, you know, watching stuff on Netflix or, you know, I see people, Hey, does anybody on Twitter, anybody know a good series on Netflix? I've watched just about everything else. Well, how many books have you read? Now, if you just want to be a schlub your whole life and a wage slave, that's fine. That's most people. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, the world needs garbage men and bartenders and accountants, bookkeepers. That's, that's great. The world can't, everybody can't be independently wealthy or, you know, be independent. But if you want to accumulate wealth, if you want to break free, then you have to do things differently than what everybody else is doing. And so, you know, picking up a book or getting your Kindle and laying on your couch and reading 
500 pages a day and, and creating a lattice work of knowledge that you can draw on and start thinking about and start ideas start pouring out of your head. You know, nothing changes through human nature. The cycles repeat. If you don't know anything, I mean, you can, you can not literally, but figuratively speak with the greatest minds in history. They've put their thoughts down on paper. Why wouldn't you want to do that? Just by reading books and thinking about what these people are saying. Read biographies. Read history. Read anything that interests you. You know, that's how I get the knowledge that I got about the energy industry. I'm so fascinated with mining and energy. I just love it. I love the machines. I love the whole concept. I love the technology. So I'm very interested in it. So that's why I kind of specialize in that. Okay. But that could be anything. And then you start knowing it. That's why I know so much about, you know, why I, uh, the things that I know about. And you have to build on it. It's like, it compounds, right? It's like wealth. Your knowledge compounds over time, your wisdom. As Charlie Munger says, strive to go to bed wiser than when you woke up in the morning. And the only way you're going to do that is by learning. How do you learn? By reading, taking in information. And I'm not talking necessarily about blogs. That can be part of it. Or messing around on social media. I'm talking about picking up a book. The Rise and Fall you know, of the Roman Empire. Uh, Marcus Aurelius. Read a book about welding, whatever interests you. It will lead, one thing leads to another. Understand the concept of compounding and its relation to time. If you look at Warren Buffett's wealth, how it compounded, it really started going exponential over the last five or 10 years when you start getting into the billions. They have compounding calculators on the internet. You should, under, you should go look at this and understand it. If you put so much money in and compound it at this rate, what will you have in 10, 20, 30 years? If you change the percentage or the starting amounts or you add, they, ha they have all kinds of different compounding calculators. And you'll start understanding why you need to start early and why you need to be a success at this. You can create tremendous amounts of wealth with starting with very little money if you understand these concepts. This is one of the most important concepts. The money is made when you buy an asset or buy equity, not when you sell. What do I mean? People say, well, what does that mean? You, when you sell is when you get the money. Yes, but what you pay, if you overpay for things, your returns are going to be lower. This is the whole, whole point of the cake, cyclically adjusted PE ratio. If you're overpaying for something, and it's just been shown over and over, you know, after the tech wreck in the late 90s, 2000 era, you know, there was companies like Microsoft and stuff that were churning out their profits were going up every year, but the stock didn't move. Why? Because it had such a stock market bubble. The stock had gotten so far, the valuation of the company had got so far out of whack with the actual business. It took 10, 15 years for the actual business to catch up with the stock price. So if you overpay, you know, it'd be lucky in that case that you didn't really lose a lot of money, but nothing happened for 10 years. You have to buy things cheaper than they're worth. And that takes knowledge. It takes ability. That's why Going back to point number two, that you have to think, read, and educate yourself. You have to understand these concepts of how to value a company, historical valuations, okay? You have to understand and read, you know, papers. People have done these back studies. They've done all the work for you. You just have to go out and find it, showing that if you buy things at a certain discount, that over time you can expect to see this type of return against if you overpay that you'll have suboptimal returns. This is a known fact. It's not in dispute.
write down why you bought a stock and revisit it occasionally to ensure your thesis is correct. I tell people to do this, keep a log, keep a um, journal of why you're buying these companies. Oh, I bought this because John Paul and me on the internet or Harris Kufferman said this. I, I, I've ran into this, you know, I've seen it on Twitter. This so-and-so said this and he was wrong. He's an idiot. Well, it's your money. Yeah, I get ideas from all kinds of people. It doesn't mean I just go out the next day, pick up my phone, say, give me 100 shares, whatever, because so-and-so said it was a great idea. If I think it's a great idea and it's somebody I respect because they've had other great ideas, I will go take some time and look into the idea. What's the, per what's the thesis that the person is operating from? That's the whole way I got the whole AR thing. I didn't come up with the idea. I saw it on Twitter with Nick Jones and Contrarian8888. And these guys were talking about their thesis around it. I looked at it. Yeah, I agree. Got in. That, you know, that I'm not just blindly buying. So, and I wrote down why. Yes, I agree with the thesis. Is the thesis intact? I revisit it occasionally and say, is the thesis intact? You know, if the stock drops 25% after I buy it, did anything change materially with the company or did the price change? You know, as Buffett says, in the short term, the um, market is a voting machine. And in the long term, it's a weighing machine. In the end, value will out. But if you don't have conviction, and your conviction comes from your study and your research. So if you don't have conviction, you won't hold and you won't buy more. You know, people say, don't buy something when it drops. Listen, if I buy a company and I have confidence in it, and it drops 50% and nothing materially in the business has changed, then I look at it as a value opportunity to buy more. And I have done that and it has worked out. And sometimes it doesn't work out. But you're playing the odds. You're not just blindly doing things. I'm, I'm trying to get to that point in your, into your head. Don't just blindly do things. Have a reason. Master your emotions. This is the most important thing, probably the most important and the most difficult thing to do and why I think most people are not successful. You're a human being. Everybody has emotions, unless you're some Terminator 3000 or something, sociopath, I don't know. I'm not a sociopath or a psychopath, so I have emotions, I have biases, these things affect me. So you have to constantly fight against them. You have to fight to recognize them and purge them because we're here to make money, not make a point. If you're here to make a point, you know, people say, well, you know, uh, you know, some people, the best performing um, stock stocks in the last hundred some years have been tobacco stocks. That's just a fact. And uh, if you're just trying to get return, then you had to be buying those to get the best returns over the last hundred years. Uh, I'm not saying that's the best investment. I'm just saying, giving an example. But a lot of people would be saying, well, I'm biased against that because I don't like the product or the, well, the product's a legal product. You know, I'm not here to argue the merits. I'm just using that as an example. Then you're going to have to make that decision. Okay. But like I taught, use the example after the 2008 crash, when President Obama got elected and the economy was falling apart, the market crashed, S&P was down to like 666. And I was telling people, you need to be buying in this market because the Fed's, and the Fed's going to come with all kinds of liquidity. And liquidity and sediment is what drives these stock prices. And everybody said, well, I don't like Obama or his policies. So they just sat on the sidelines as this thing went up hundreds of percent. They left a lot of money on the table. You can't do that. Most are not able to master their emotion. And as a primary reason, most fail. 
even the experts succumb to their emotions occasionally. Stan Druckenmiller talks about a time when, uh, I have to find the exact interview or article, but basically quick synopsis is it was some kind of stock that he knew was overvalued his analysis, but he just couldn't help himself. So he actually, you know, got some interns or somebody or some junior analysts to buy it for him. And he it ended up losing money long-term, but he knew. And then somebody asked him, well, what'd you learn from that? He goes, I didn't learn anything. I already knew, but I couldn't control my emotions. I, I the, the FOMO took over. So I had bought a position. This is a guy, it's a professional investor. That's a billionaire. One of the most seasoned, experienced, and, um, master investors and he still succumbed to it. So you're going to too. I do it too. You just have to minimize it as much as possible. Have realistic expectations on returns. You know, you look at uh, Buffett or Prem Watsa who runs Fairfax Financial, they list their returns, average return. You know, the average return in an index fund of stocks long-term with dividends reinvested is like 9%, 8 or 9%. Okay. And then, you know, I, I mentioned a couple stocks in AIA that were up over 100%. That, that is abnormal. That is not normal returns. People see what happened like in Bitcoin or these other, you know, Tesla up 700% over the last couple of years, whatever it is. And they think that that's normal. That is abnormal. That cannot be, understand what realistic investment returns are. And that goes back to compounding. Look, as long as you're getting positive returns, you know, if you're getting 9, 10, 12% average returns over 30 or 40 years, you're going to have a tremendous amount of wealth compound. And if you have a couple multi-baggers in there, you know, which you can do with speculation with some of your risk capital, not your main investment capital, then you can juice your returns. That's what I do. But have, be realistic. People say, well, hey, John, give me a stock that's going to double this year. Well, what does that mean? I, you know, I don't know. Or give me something that's going to go up 10 times. What are you talking about? You know, no one can know that. What you can do is understand that, you know, uh, how business works, how cyclicality works, how some of these things work, and then, you know, take advantage of it. Understand the difference between investing and speculating. Okay. We've went over that before. A lot of people don't understand that. If you're trading in and out, if you're hoping to your only analysis is, is that I think this, I can sell it to somebody else for more than I bought it. That's speculation. Investing is I'm buying this piece of a business, this real estate asset, this factory, this business, because it can generate me a certain return. And I think it's going to be able to do that over a certain amount of time. You know, the business, the value of a business is basically what you think the stream of future cash flow is from that business over time. That's the whole basis of valuing businesses. What is the stream of cash flow that can come back to me from this business over time? And then what do I pay for that stream of cash flow? That's it. And here's another one. Get your dopamine fix somewhere else except in investing your money. It goes back to that casino mentality. This is not a casino. You know, people go to the casino. They put $100 in a slot machine, the thing hits for 20,000. I mean, the hits for whatever, the flashing lights, you're getting a dopamine release, a pleasure release of chemicals that create a pleasure sensation. Get that fixed somewhere else, okay? Not in, we're dealing with your life here. You're dealing with important goals. You're dealing, you know, this is not the place to be messing around. This is not Las Vegas. It's not a casino. It's not a resort. This is a business you're running. Treat it that way. Be serious. And get your and understand that these 
chemical reactions do take place. You know, you should train yourself that you should, you should not want to feel good. You should not be, you're going to get that dopamine release when you do do good. You know, what's happened in the last month in, the, in my portfolio is very, it's great. But, you know, you've got to suppress that because this is a business. We're having a good month, a good quarter, good couple quarters, but that can all change again, right? These things go up and down the ebb and flow. Look at the long term. Look across the desert to the promised land. All right, that's the extent of this video. Uh, not a lot to talk about. I have a lot of other things to talk about. Uranium is really perking up. Looks like, I don't know if it's the bottom. We're in a seasonal period where uranium stocks do good. I'm not sure if this is it. We've made the bottom and we're going to come out of this thing. One of the things that I do, what I was thinking about though, is eventually hedge funds and private equity money, big money is going to come into this. And if I had, you know, a billion dollars and I was inclined and I knew what I was doing, what would I do? Well, I would probably buy some long dated call options. I'd load up a bunch of call options on some of the uranium companies that I could buy, like Cameco, Kaz Prom, maybe some of the smaller ones that they have call options available. I'd go out way out in on the way out in the future and, you know, go out of the money on these things. I'd get that prepped first. Then what would I be doing? Okay, I'd start be making I start making calls to buy physical uranium. Okay. Um, however that's done, I would figure out how that's done. Or I would just go out and start buying up like UPC, it's still it's selling at a 17% discount. You can buy uranium at a 17% discount still if you buy UPC. I think it's the current discount. And I would, you know, I would start trying to pull off all this physical uranium off the off the uh, market and force the price up. Because and create the, my own, the market is so small that somebody that actually has money can do this. Then I'd start buying the stocks here and there, okay? Once these things start to get into an uptrend or after, you know, I'd start pushing them because reflexivity takes over, right? Starts to move, the algos pick up on it, the chatter starts, more money comes in. Hey, there's an article here, there's a blurb here, hedge funds are, are hedge funds moving in and buying physical. The fuel buyers, this is what happened in the last cycle. And I expect this to happen. And the market is so small, I mean, the other day, somebody put it on Twitter, was like, one of these stocks had a huge move. It was only like $70,000 moved the stock up 10%. Can you imagine if you come in with hundreds of millions of dollars? I mean, this, this is going to happen, I would suggest at some point. So, you know, and then this thing gets going. It's like all this tinder has been built up, right? The supply situation with uranium, the demand situation we know about, supply keeps contracting, demand keeps going up. Okay. And then somebody starts getting in there and start for basically force the force these utility buyers to come to the market by forcing the spot price up, just start taking material off the market and sequestering it. I mean, it doesn't go bad. It just sits in a drum at some holding facility that uh, Cameco or somebody uh, uh, has right in a drum. You just have it sit there and just keep buying it up. And once this thing, you know, gets some momentum, then you're forcing people to come to the market. So uh, it's an interesting concept. I think that's what happened last time the hedge funds got involved. I talked about it in my what happened in the last uranium cycle. And it was literally, guys, every single week for over a year, the uranium price would go up. Trade Tech would report it. It's up a buck. It's up a buck 50. It's up 75 cents. I mean, I was just like shocked. It's like, how high is this going? It would never go down. Every week was going up because people were coming in just buying up the, the uranium. So 
it created its own feedback loop, if you will, positive feedback loop. And um, so I expect that's going to happen again. I think, you know, people are always looking for trades. They're looking for arbitrage. They're looking for ways to get outsized returns. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens again at some point once this thing gets going and this feedback loop gets created. And, um, you know, I'm not saying that's happening right now. I'm just saying that's what I would do if I had, you know, a billion dollars or $500 million, I'd probably start setting, start pushing it that way. And, you know, people talk, they make calls, you know, watch the show billions. I mean, it's a good show. It kind of gives you some, I mean, it's a little bit dramatized, but they have, these people all talk and when they want to get in on something, they go in, you just have a dinner. It's an innocuous thing is mentioned. What are you guys doing over at uh, Axe Capital? Well, you know, I got uh, talking about this uranium thing. This is what I'm doing. They go back, they get their analysts on it. This looks good. Let's jump on the coattails. All of a sudden the term, you know, the spot price goes to 45 or 50 and the utilities are going, Hey, wait a minute. The days are over. There's no supply out there. We better. And then this thing starts getting its own momentum. So it, 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 I think, I suspect that will happen at some point. All right, guys, that's it for this week. Uh, thanks for the subscriptions. Thanks for the, um, channel growth. Appreciate you guys a lot. And uh, we're doing this. We're successful because you're making us successful. So I just want to say thanks for that and uh, appreciate uh, your support. We'll talk to you next week.